Thank you, Sarah, Dana, and the instrumentalists for that. That was excellent. Um, if you please stand for the reading of God's Word today. Today we're going to be in a new series. Bruce is going to be leading us called Praise the Lord. Seems perfect for this Thanksgiving season. We're going to be reading from Psalms 103, the first five verses. Um, if you're using a pew Bible, you can find it at the near the end of page 342. So just follow along as I read Psalms 103, verses 1 through 5. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you and we thank you for your, you being a, a good, perfect God who sacrificed your son in order for us to be redeemed in you, God. I pray this morning that you would use your spirit and your word to speak and use Bruce to be able to impact us today. I pray, as the song we just listened to, that you would reveal your glory through the preaching of your word and that we may, as our hearts confess, that you are Lord God. Thank you for your son and your name. Amen. Well, that is the essence of a new series I want to begin today, a short series for the next two weeks on Psalms 103. Psalm 103 is a praise psalm written by King David. In fact, it only contains 22 verses. Today, we'll look at the first five. Next Sunday, we'll finish out the chapter. But this psalm, what's interesting, it actually ends the same way as it begins. And so you have these bookends, if you will, of Psalm 103, of how it begins and then how it ends with these words where David cries out and he simply says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. In other words, David is exhorting us as children of God, as sons and daughters of God, as Christ followers, to do something here. And in particular, in this particular case, he's exhorting us to praise our Lord. And as we will see, the reason why is because it is good for the soul. But here's the problem. And I invite you to pull out the, uh, the outline, the handout, and the bulletin. For those of you who might be new here in our church, you're welcome to utilize that, uh, both attenders, members, guests, and follow along, fill in the blanks if you want to. Or you can just follow on the back of the screen, the screen behind me. But here's the problem. Most of us have to admit we are better at complaining than we are praising. Right? Would you agree with that? I think most of us would have to say so. We're better at complaining than praising. So here's a question for thought. Here's a question to throw out. A question for you to think about and evaluate for yourself. What marks your life more, complaining or praising? Which one characterizes your life more? Is it complaining or is it praising? And if we asked your family members, if we asked your friends, what would they say to that answer about you? 
in the Old Testament book of Numbers, Numbers chapter 10 through 13, is, records the sad story of the children of Israel, God's people who are complaining against God himself in the wilderness. As God just rescued them out of bondage in Egypt, and he's now promising them to lead them to the promised land. And in between, they're wandering around in the wilderness and complaining about it. After all God had done for them, they were griping and grumbling and groaning. God sent manna to eat, but they didn't like it. They missed the food they had back in Egypt. In Egypt, they were slaves, but they were willing to trade their freedom for a better menu. So what does God do? Well, if you know the story, God sent quail. And oh, did he send them quail. He sent more than enough quail. He sent them so much quail, they choked on quail. The children of Israel, let me tell you, they were way better at complaining than they were praising. Now, I would be harder on them, but we are just like them. Therefore, we simply need a good dose of Psalm 103. We need a good dose of this psalm to wash out our complaining spirit and replace it with a heart of gratitude. Sometimes we just need to give ourselves a good talking to. And that's what Psalm 103 is all about. What we find in this psalm is David is actually talking to himself. And in particular, he's talking to his own soul and he is urging himself to bless the Lord and forget not all his benefits or blessings. And so what David does right off the bat here, he kind of lets us in on a secret. In fact, he gives us the secret to praising our Lord. Notice this in your notes. Like David, we must plead with our soul to praise the Lord by not forgetting His many benefits or blessings. And we see this pleading with the soul in the first two verses when David says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. So David begins by prodding and prompting and pleading with his own soul to do something. He's pleading and urging himself to action here. And in this case, the action in the doing is none other than praising his Lord. Now, what does it mean to actually bless the Lord? After all, we would rather have God bless us. Who doesn't want the blessings of God? Well, we're going to see David gets to that. He identifies many blessings, many benefits that God has bestowed upon us. But in this case, David wants to cast blessing upon the Lord. So what does it mean? Well, it means to speak well of something. In this case, it's the idea of David is blessing the Lord, and he is speaking well of God's greatness. He's speaking well of God's goodness. And so blessing the Lord is synonymous then with praising the Lord. Psalms 34, verse 1, puts them together like this when the psalmist writes, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. And so the blessing 
the Lord means speaking and singing about the goodness and greatness of our God. And notice here, David's very specific about something when he says this. Notice how we are to bless the Lord. He doesn't leave us to guess how to do this. He doesn't leave it to our imagination. He tells us exactly. David says that our blessing of the Lord, our praise from our lips must come from the soul. In other words, the idea here is don't praise God superficially, but praise Him with all your heart and soul. Not just some of me, not just half my heart, not just half my mind, but all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Why? Because praising God with my mouth, with apart from my soul, is none other than hypocrisy. You go over to the New Testament in the Gospel of Matthew And there is recorded a time when Jesus was here on this earth, and he actually accused the Pharisees of this very thing. In Matthew chapter 15, verse 8, listen to what Jesus says about the Pharisees. He says, this people, oh, they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. David knows that danger, and so he pleads with himself, To bless the Lord, oh my soul, let not just my blessing be going through the motions. Don't let me just speak it and come out as words in my mouth, but let it be a part of who I am, all my soul. And all that is within me, bless His holy name, David says. He goes on, bless the Lord, oh my soul, and forget not all of His benefits. Now, David is also at the same time. He is identifying for us the core of our problem. We are a rather forgetful people. And David is identifying, saying, hey, we have a tendency here to forget something rather important in our lives. And that is the benefits or the blessings of God. This is why If you've ever wondered, why am I so much better at complaining than I am praising, David's identifying it for us. The reason we are better at complaining than praising is because we are forgetful. And in particular, we forget what we should remember. A young minister was about to deliver his very first sermon. And so he asked a retired minister friend for advice on how to capture the congregation's attention. And so this older minister, retired, he said, well, you start with an opening line that's certain to grab them. For example, some of the best years of my life were spent in the arms of a woman who was not my wife. He smiled at the younger man's shocked expression before adding, she was my mother. The next Sunday, the young preacher nervously clutched the pulpit and finally said, some of the the best years of my life were spent in the arms of a woman. He was pleased at the instant reaction from the congregation, and then he became panic-stricken. 
But for the life of me, I can't remember who she was. Oh, forgetfulness. Listen, forgetfulness can be a tremendous problem. Forgetfulness can often get us into some terrible predicaments in this life. Forgetting your dentist appointment is frustrating. Forgetting someone's name can even be a little embarrassing. Forgetting your wedding anniversary, well, that's troubling. But when we forget what God Almighty has done for us, well, that is rather frightening. That leads to complaining. And yet forgetting is a problem for God's people. God asked the question in Jeremiah 2.32, does a young woman, does she forget her jewelry? Does a bride forget her wedding ornaments? Yet my people have forgotten me days without number. God tells us in Deuteronomy 8, verses 10 through 11, He says, when you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land He has given you. And then He cautions us with this. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe His commands, His laws, and His decrees that I'm giving you this day. So what then should we never, 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 ever forget? Well, in verses 3 through 5 here, David gives us several benefits or blessings that we must always remember. David shows us at the same time that the opposite of forgetfulness is not just recalling truths or facts. Regurgitating information like we would on a test or recalling items on a list when we go to the grocery store. Rather, the opposite of forgetfulness in this context of Psalms 103 is the activity of praise. This is why David urges us to praise our God for all of the blessings he has given us. So let's look at the first five verses here of this psalm to remember the blessings of God that the soul often forgets. Number one, praise God for the blessing of his pardon. Praise God for the blessing of his pardon. Notice again what David writes about God in verse three. And and by the way, kind of as an FYI here, it's rather interesting that in this psalm, when you begin verse 3 here through the end of verse 5, these blessings or benefits, depending on what translation you're using, is they're called benefits, they're also blessings. But what's really interesting in verses 3 through 5, there's a list of five of them or six of them, depending on how you categorize them, but they're, they're in couplets. You'll notice in verse 3, there's two. In verse 4, there's two more. And then in verse 5, there's one or sometimes two, depending on what, how you uh, see it. And so they're in twos. What we're going to do is we're going to look at them just as that, in groups of two. And the first one here has everything to do about the blessing of God's pardon. Notice what he says in verse 3 about God. Who forgives all your iniquities who heals all your diseases. So what does this mean biblically and then practically for our lives? Well, David highlights two blessings about God's 
pardon that he bestows upon us, that he offers us through his son, Jesus Christ. First of all, our pardon means we are forgiven. It means we are forgiven of our sins, or in this case, the wording here is iniquities. David begins by reminding us that God forgives all our iniquities, rightly so. For the forgiveness of our sins is the greatest benefit or blessing any of us can ever receive from God. Our greatest problem, do you realize, is the guilt that we feel because of our sin. Therefore, our greatest need is to know, to experience forgiveness from the Lord. This is the foundation of everything else. And so before we consider anything else that God has done in our lives, we must remember something here. We must remember a biblical truth, a theological truth about God and us. We must remember that the barrier between God and us is due to our sin. And it is now completely removed due to His forgiveness in His Son, Jesus Christ. The trouble is that when we forget this biblical truth, this theological truth of God's forgiveness, listen, praise will cease from our lips because we have forgotten it in our soul. There can be no joy. There can be no worship. There can be no praise unless we know. And when I use that word know, unless we have experienced in a personal way that the sin which separates, which creates this barrier between me and God is now once and for all removed. You say, well, what is the extent of God's forgiveness in my life? Oh, David uses one simple but powerful word to describe just that. It's a little three-letter word when he says all, all. God forgives all our sins. No, not certain sins, not some sins, but all our sins are forgiven. And that's good news, is it not? Some of us have really blown it big time in our lives. In fact, if truth be known, some of us have blown it big time, multiple times in our lives. We have messed up over and over again. In fact, we have done some of the dumb same things repeatedly ever, even after promising never to do them again. And so I am so thankful so glad that David uses this little three-letter word, all, to describe the extent of God's forgiveness of my sin and your sin. Can you imagine with me God only forgiving 99.9% of our sins and that being good enough? That's like saying that we should be happy that in the history of KCI Airport, all planes land safely every day except for two. They crash and burn. Or each year almost all surgeries are successful except for about 500 deaths. Those are tolerable. Or every day doctors only drop 50 newborn babies. But they don't all the rest. 
or the U.S. Postal Service only loses 16,000 pieces of mail every year. But none of those things are good enough. The good news is God forgives, listen to me, all of our sins. That means the past, the present, and yes, even the future. That's a huge insight because it touches, folks, listen to me, it, it impacts how we actually view and see our God. You realize he is more than willing to forgive you than we are to be forgiven. God is eager to forgive. He is ready to forgive. And he wants to forgive you through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ. Not long before she died in 1988, Marganita Lasky, one of the best-known secular humanists and novelists of our time, said in a moment of surprising candor, listen to this, what I envy most about you Christians is your forgiveness. I have nobody to forgive me, she says. If she only knew, she does. She has a God who has provided forgiveness for everyone through his son, Jesus Christ. Remember, we have a God who is more than willing to forgive all of our sins through faith in Jesus. And so when we confess our sins, when we come to a brokenness of our sin and repent of our sins and we confess those to God, God is willing to forgive and he does forgive and he makes us clean all over again. Some of you maybe need to experience that for the very first time. Others, you have experienced that in salvation. But yes, even as believers, we still sin. And isn't it a glorious truth to know that even as a Christ follower, when I falter and when I fall in my sin, I can go before God again. Humbly, broken, repentant, and confess it, and receive forgiveness all over again. It's beautiful. Second, our pardon means we are healed. We are healed. In the same verse, in verse 3 here, about forgiveness, David says God heals all our diseases. Now, on the surface, does it seem odd to you to combine forgiveness and healing in the very same verse? In Isaiah 53, 5, after all, we read, Talking about Jesus Christ, by his stripes we are forgiven? No, it says by his stripes we are what? Healed. In fact, it's interesting. Again, you go forward to the New Testament in Matthew. There in that gospel, when Jesus was here on this earth, Jesus, in response to a paralyzed man, pronounces his sins forgiven, and then he also does what? He heals him physically. So the question becomes, is there a relationship between healing and forgiveness? Well, healing is certainly a a vibrant picture of what forgiveness is. And more than just a picture, it actually points to what God does for us. Now, is this a guarantee for Christ followers of perfect health? Is healing then a part of atonement and forgiveness of our sins that Jesus promises us? Well, yes and no. No, because we know that death is certain. 
we know believers still get sick and die. So the question here is not, can God heal? God is certainly powerful enough to heal all our physical diseases. So how then should we understand what David says here? When he couples both forgiveness and healing, well, we must see the relationship, first of all, between sin and disease, between forgiveness and wholeness. Remember, disease, suffering of physical calamities, all of this is a product of sin. No, not necessarily individual sin, but sin from the very first Adam back in Genesis chapter 3. Adam's sin in the Garden of Eden meant death. And so now we all understand that death and dying is a certain part of life. But the second Adam, who is identified through the Apostle Paul in Romans as Jesus Christ, changed all of that. So now the question becomes, well, what should I expect? What should I expect? Should we expect healing then? Yes, absolutely. In Jesus Christ, listen to me, all our diseases are healed in the resurrection of our bodies. Here's the glorious truth. In our bodily resurrection to come, we will never suffer the pains of cancer. We will never suffer the torment of emotional breakdowns and depression. We will never suffer the ache of arthritis. This is the benefit we must not ignore. But it's one that we often forget when we suffer in physical pain in this life. And when we face our own death. But we must remember that we As Christ followers, we here do know this. We will be raised. And when we are raised, we will be raised with new bodies. And we will stand whole for all eternity. You say, well, what about healing in these old bodies? After all, that's the one I'm living in now. Listen, I feel your pain. I'm getting ready to turn 52 here in a couple of weeks. And I'm still trying to play basketball. And I come home and I ask myself, why? My knees ache at night, and I have to pop a leave in Advil, and it wakes me up at night, and yet I still go out there and I still try to play because I'm still trying to hang on to that day when I could really play. It's a false illusion, though. Listen, we know God can and does bring healing to our bodies now. Listen, verse 3 here affirms that when healing... Physical healing takes place through whatever means it comes ultimately from God the Father. In other words, think of it this way. After the doctors and medicine have done all they can do, and after we have used all the latest medical technology and taken the newest drugs, our healing still comes from the Lord. That's why, folks, you go to James and he urges us as believers in Christ to pray for the sick. That's why we list in the back of our bulletin we have prayer needs. And many times those prayer needs are for physical healing. And so if you were sick and you are now healthy today, 
You know what? Praise the Lord. Amen? If your cancer is in remission, you know what? Give praise to the Lord. If you nearly died in an accident but somehow survived, then you know what? Praise the Lord. And yes, there are times even for Christ's followers, even some of you here have had spouses where God did not bring physical healing. And you experience the suffering and the loss of a spouse because of some sickness or cancer or whatever the case may be. And even in that, we have the hope that that person, as a believer in Christ, will be raised bodily, whole and new and without all that. And then we also can praise God. Remember that our healing, any healing in this life, it is limited and it is temporary. And our ultimate healing comes when we are raised immortal and incorruptible. And so in that happy resurrection day, when Jesus comes and the dead in Christ will rise first, then at last we will be totally, completely, and finally healed once and for all. But between now and then, you know what we do? We praise the Lord for every bit of healing that we may experience in this life. With the blessing of our sins forgiven and our diseases healed, we have more than enough to praise God for. But God's blessings continue. Notice number three, praise God for the blessing of His preservation. The blessing of His preservation. We see the blessing of God's preservation when David writes in verse 4, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. So notice, first of all, our preservation, it begins in our redemption. In the first half of verse 4, David says, God redeems your life from destruction. Or sometimes that's translated as the pit. You know what the pit refers to? It's another term for the grave. And because of our sin, we are subject to the grave. We are subject, in other words, to death. Romans 6.23 tells us as clearly, for the wages of sin is what? Death. But in His grace, God redeems us. Imagine this. He reaches down and He pulls us out out of the pit, out of the mouth of destruction. But this, please understand, comes at a great cost. There is a price that was paid for our redemption. To redeem, this word is very significant, especially in the Old Testament. It means to pay the price of release. It points to the Old Testament concept of a kinsman redeemer who redeems a relative from a life of slavery, which that relative entered into more times than not because of debt that he or she could not pay. So what a beautiful picture we have here of our Heavenly Father who purchased us out of the slave market, not of financial debt, but of sin debt. And he did so through the death of his son, Jesus Christ, and he redeems us from the pit of hopelessness and helplessness. 
But our redemption is more than God just rescuing us from the eternal pit of hell. Do you realize he also rescues us from the temporal pits of life? That is, God is working in our lives even now to preserve us and not to destroy us. A common expression that we've often heard, maybe you've even used it, man, I'm just, I'm in the pits. I'm in the pits. Someone even wrote a book entitled, If Life is a Bowl of Cherries, Then Why Am I Always in the Pits? One time during Corey Ten Boone's imprisonment in a concentration camp, which was a den of misery, sickness, and death, her sister Becky said to her, This is such a pit, Corey, such a pit of evil. But Corey replied to her sister, There is no pit so deep that Jesus isn't deeper. He is able to lift us out of the pit. So praise God with David, who says in Psalms chapter 40, verses 2 through 3, speaking of God, He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock, and He gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. So while God's redemption is worthy of our praise, I've got more good news for you. It doesn't end there. Second, our preservation is completed, though, in our coronation. David goes on to say that this God who redeems you is the one who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. Now think about this. God redeems us from the pit. You know what he does then? He takes us, in a spiritual sense, He takes us to the very throne room of God. He takes us to the throne room of the King of Kings, where He crowns us with that King's loving kindness and tender mercies. And the crown reminds us, it's it's a word picture here, and David is reminding us through this crown of our position before God as his children, as his sons and daughters. Now, in our day, only kings and queens wear crowns. But as God's children, it is our privilege to be crowned, not with a physical crown, oh no, something much better, to be crowned, David says, with loving kindness and tender mercies. The idea here is that when God crowns you, He pours out His loving kindness and tender mercies on us. He's crowning us with it, and it's like overflows over our lives, and it covers us, His tender mercies and His loving kindness. You say, well, what is loving kindness? Well, it's the royal, unending, unchanging love of God toward you. And then he crowns us with this term, two words, tender mercies. Now, that's an interesting term. And the question that we have is, well, why doesn't David just say tender justice? Because there's nothing tender about justice. If we were to receive 
what we truly deserve from God, do you realize we would stand no chance? But instead of justice, God crowns us with tender mercies. He knows what we are going through, and He gives us His compassion and love through Jesus Christ. And so while God is love, He is also just, and that justice was poured out His wrath on His Son when He died on the cross. And now we are the recipients, not so much of His justice as Jesus was, we get to be the recipients of His tender mercy through Jesus Christ. As Lamentations 3, 22 through 23 reminds us, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. Consumed by what? The holy wrath of God. For His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, God. This brings us to the last blessing to praise God for. Praise God, number three, for the blessing of His provision. Look what David writes in verse 5. He who satisfies your mouth. In fact, that, that really, that phrase or that word ought to be translated or years. He who satisfies your years with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. So two, two emphasis here. First of all, our provision from God satisfies our needs in life. This is the natural endpoint for David. Because if we forget any of God's blessings, we are left with lives that are discontent and disgruntled. That is the natural, fleshly result when we forget what we have in God. We become disgruntled and discontent. And so David says that God satisfies us with good things. And don't miss that the good here comes from who? God. Not from anything we see with our eyes here on this earth or we touch with our hands. One translation says it this way. Speaking of God, He fills my life with good things, which is true enough, but that might leave the impression with you that God promises certain material benefits to your life, such as some sort of earthly prosperity, if we will only serve Him and obey Him and remain on His good side. But the emphasis here is not on what we possess, but on what possesses us. That means there's nothing on earth that can satisfy as deeply except God Himself. So what does it mean then to be satisfied with God? Well, that word satisfy here means to be so full that you need nothing else. Think about Thanksgiving dinner coming up this Thursday. When the turkey is no longer stuffed, but you are. It's what happens at the end of the dinner when you're so full that you can't eat anything more. You've had two helpings of everything, and even though there is still more food on the table, you can't eat any of it. Why? Because you are stuffed. You are satisfied. But how long will that satisfaction last? After all, it's turkey. 
only a few hours. I mean, we all know by Thanksgiving night when you're watching football, you'll be hungry again. You'll be back in the kitchen picking over the leftovers. That's what we all do. But what God gives us here satisfies us infinitely deeper and longer than anything this world can offer you. Rather than a promise of getting all that you want, this is a promise of enjoying all that you have. And what you have here, David identifies us or identifies for us in the Lord. And that leads us into the second part of this provision. Our provision from God, when we're satisfied in Him, it renews our lives. God says to us, I will satisfy you with my good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Eagles. What David is doing here by taking this bird that we are familiar with is he's using it as a picture of strength and vigor and vitality that soars high in the sky. And it reminds me of what Isaiah wrote in Isaiah 40. Listen to his words. He says, Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. As we come to the end here of David's great list of his blessings, of God's blessings, they form this perfect summary for anyone who wants to wake up their soul within them and praise the Lord. One football team owner calls it, I quote, the single most impressive symbol of being a champion in all of sports. And of course, he's talking about the NFL Super Bowl ring. These rings are typically made of yellow or white gold with diamonds. And I mean lots of diamonds. They usually include the team name, team logo, and Super Bowl number. The NFL pays for the cost of 150 rings to the winning team at roughly, nowadays, about $40,000 per ring. Depending upon the fluctuating cost of gold and diamonds. Many rings feature diamonds in the shape of the Vince Lombardi trophy or a football or the logo of that team. The Green Bay Packers, for example, Super Bowl ring in 2010 contained more than 100 diamonds. The Super Bowl ring of the Patriots in 2017 contained more than 280 diamonds. Replicas of the rings for various years are popular collectibles along with the genuine rings. For instance, former Chicago Bears tackle William the Refrigerator Perry's 1985 ring sold at auction for over $200,000 in 2015. A few years before that, in 2012, Lawrence Taylor's son sold his father's Super Bowl ring from 1990 for more than $250,000. Now, can you imagine... Losing something that valuable and irreplaceable. A Super Bowl ring. Well, former Oakland Raiders champion Gene Upshaw can. To keep his Super Bowl ring safe at home, he put it inside a bank that looked like a Pepsi can. The problem was, he forgot to tell his housekeepers. 
They mistook the bank for an empty pop can and tossed it out, ring and all. Needless to say, that was a pretty costly mistake. Trashing treasure because of the container it was in. But it's a mistake, folks, that many people are still making today. Except that the treasure that they trash are God's blessings. Tossed aside as they forget what God has done for them. So forget not all His blessings. God forgives you. He heals you. He redeems you. He crowns you. And He satisfies you. So what happens when you remember all of these blessings? Notice this in your notes. It produces gratitude in your heart and praise in your mouth. If you don't know where to start in praising God, start right here with God's blessings. Start right here in Psalm 103. In his book, Jumping the Hurdles, Hitting Glitches, Overcoming Setbacks, Steve Brown writes this, The most unhappy person in the world is not someone who didn't get what he or she wanted. The most unhappy person in the world, he writes, is the one who got what he or she wanted and then found out that it wasn't as wonderful as expected. The secret of a happy life is not to get what you want, but to live with what you got. Most of us, he goes on to write, spend our lives concentrating on what we don't have instead of thanking God for what we do have. Then we wake up, our life is over, and we miss the beauty of the present. And then he says, you think about that. Are you ready to trade in complaining for praising? Are you ready to quit complaining and start praising? Then plead with your soul. Man, wake up each morning or before you go to bed and plead with your soul and do it in prayer to God. God, help me. Help me to praise you by not forgetting these blessings. Help me to remember these blessings through the course of my day. When interruptions come into my day, when the circumstances around my life are miserable, help me to recall spiritually what these blessings are, what I have in you. So that the praise on my lips may be genuine from my soul. Let's go, Lord, in prayer. Lord, we thank you for our time together. We thank you for this psalm here. Lord, you know how desperately we need a good dose of it. We need to be impacted by these these five verses. And so, Lord, I pray that by your spirit and by your word here, you would do just that. You would remind us of what you have done for us through Jesus Christ. And as we come to this response time, as they play the instrumentalist, that we would just pause here for the next few moments and we would cry out. Maybe maybe we need to start with just admitting that we have a complaining spirit, that that's what really defines our life most of the time. And ask for your forgiveness of that. And then ask for your grace that we would be more defined by praising who you are because of what you've done for us. So, Lord, let us respond here as we need. In your name we pray. Amen.